Good morning. Today's scripture reading comes from Exodus 28, 1 to 14, 36 to 43, and chapter 29, 38 to 46. Then bring near to you Aaron your brother and his sons with him from among the people of Israel to serve me as priests. Aaron and Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, Eleazar and Ithamar. And you shall make holy garments for Aaron your brother, for glory and for beauty. You shall speak to all the skillful whom I have filled with the spirit of skill, that they may make Aaron's garments to consecrate him for my priesthood. These are the garments that they shall make, a breastpiece, an ephod, a robe, a coat of checker work, a turban, and a sash. They shall make holy garments for Aaron your brother and his sons to serve me as priests. They shall receive gold, blue and purple and scarlet yarns, and fine twined linen. And they shall make the ephod of gold, of blue and purple and scarlet yarns, and of fine twined linen skillfully worked. It shall have two shoulder pieces attached to its two edges so that it may be joined together. And the skillfully woven band on it shall be made like it and be of one piece with it of gold, blue and purple and scarlet yarns, and fine twined linen. You shall take two onyx stones and engrave on them the names of the sons of Israel, six of their names on the one stone, and the names of the remaining six on the other stone, in the order of their birth. As a jeweler engraves signets, so shall you engrave the two stones with the names of the sons of Israel. You shall enclose them in settings of gold filigree, and you shall set the two stones on the shoulder pieces of the ephod as stones of remembrance for the sons of Israel. And Aaron shall bear their names before the Lord on his two shoulders for remembrance. You shall make settings of gold filigree and two chains of pure gold twisted like cords, and you shall attach the corded chains to the settings. You shall make a plate of pure gold and engrave on it like the engraving of a signet, holy to the Lord. And you shall fasten it on the turban by a cord of blue. It shall be on the front of the turban. It shall be on Aaron's forehead, and Aaron shall bear any guilt from the holy things that the people of Israel consecrate as their holy gifts. It shall regularly be on his forehead, that they may be accepted before the Lord. You shall weave the coat in checkerwork of fine linen, and you shall make a turban of fine linen, and you shall make a sash embroidered with needlework. For Aaron's sons, you shall make coats and sashes and caps. You shall make them for glory and beauty. And you shall put them on Aaron your brother and on his sons with him, and shall anoint them and ordain them and consecrate them, that they may serve me as priests. You shall make for them linen undergarments to cover their naked flesh. They shall reach from the hips to the thighs, and they shall be on Aaron and on his sons when they go into the tent of meeting or when they come near the altar to minister in the holy place, lest they bear guilt and die. This shall be a statute forever for him and for his offspring after him. Chapter 29, 38. Now this is what you shall offer on the altar, two lambs a year old, day by day, regularly. One lamb you shall offer in the morning, and the other lamb you shall offer at twilight. And with the first lamb, a tenth measure of fine flour mingled with a fourth of a hin of beaten oil and a fourth of a hin of wine for a drink offering. The other lamb you shall offer at twilight and shall offer with it a grain offering and its drink offering as in the morning, 
for a pleasing aroma, a food offering to the Lord. It shall be a regular burnt offering throughout your generations at the entrance of the tent of meeting before the Lord, where I will meet with you to speak to you there. There I will meet with the people of Israel, and it shall be sanctified by my glory. I will consecrate the tent of meeting and the altar. Aaron also and his sons I will consecrate to serve me as priests. I will dwell among the people of Israel and will be their God, and they shall know that I am the Lord their God, who brought them out of the land of Egypt, that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. This is the word of the Lord. We have been studying through the book of Exodus. Oh, Mike needs to come up. And uh, it's been a joy to see God work among his people and to be with them, to draw them out of Egypt and to show them all these wonderful things that they never seen before, um, to show us these wonderful things as well. And God has been giving them so many gifts uh, namely his presence, his words, uh, it just showing up in many different ways. And so even as we, this point of our study of the book, uh, it's just overwhelmingly God's goodness to our hearts. And we want to continue to look at this goodness today and ask God to help us as he brings his word uh, to our hearts and our ears. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you so much. Lord, you never fail us. Lord, you are so quick to run to our needs. Even when we think that you're not listening or that you're not there, you're always there. So we pray, come Lord Jesus. Teach us wonderful, marvelous things in this portion of your word. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Um. This season always reminds me of growing up during the time of Easter when I was a little boy. And one Easter Sunday morning, I must have been around nine or ten, I went outside and there I was just trying to jump to this clothesline pole. I don't know if you guys remember those. Dryers kind of put them out of business. But these clotheslines, they had poles on them, like a capital T, and then three or four lines run across. It was always a challenge just to go and try to hang from these, this, this post. And I was doing that that morning. And then I saw my neighbor friend walk out of the door, and she was stunning. She was dressed to the nines, as they would say. Ribbons in her hair, bows in her hair, and she had on this beautiful dress with this embroidery on it, and this nice lace sash. And then when she walked in her dress, it kind of poofed up like that, you know? Like dresses of little girls do when they're six or seven. And she was walking towards me. I can still remember her shoes and the lace around her, her socks and everything. Just, just gorgeous, walking towards me. And by that time, my arms were tired. And I began to slip and I went down to the ground. I stumbled and I bumped her. <laughs> 
and she fell down to the ground. She fell a shoulder to the ground and then just enough to dip her hair in the grass to get a little dry grass on it. And she began to well. Of course she began to well. Her mom came out and she, you know, of course, she's like, what happened? What happened? And I could do nothing but defend myself. Like, oh, it was an accident. It was a mistake. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. She didn't reprimand me, though she was known to do that. But she was so gentle and tender towards Nikki, brushing her off and then taking her back inside uh, where she was safe from me. And so... <laughs> Looking back on that incident, I really wish that I could have been more sympathetic. There I was, defending myself, thinking that I'm about to get in trouble. I wish I was more quick to have went to her hurting heart, you know, or went to care for her physically. So we can see it's not a natural thing uh, for us fallen humans to to be sympathetic to, towards one another, to suffer with each other. Uh, we tend to want to, what I observe um, in life, tend to want to be defensive or, or blame or, or uh, cast fault or not take responsibility for our actions altogether. Maybe it's that sense that I'm bad or I'm going to be in trouble or but the Lord teaches us how to begin to move towards one another, to suffer with each other, to have compassion with each other, because this is how he is. God sympathizes with the weaknesses of his people. We see God making this declaration in chapter 29, verses 45 and 46. When God says it, it's going to be done. He says, I will dwell among the people of Israel and will be their God. And they shall know that I am the Lord, their God, who brought them out of the land of Egypt, that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord, their God. God is deeply committed to the people of Israel. As we saw last week, he's deeply committed that he will move into the neighborhood of their community to be with them. He desires to remain close to them and to be their number one and only God. He is clear about his intentions about being lifelong, eternity, in an eternity-long relationship with them. Why else would God promise to save them and then actually fulfill that promise to rescue them, to give them salvation through their deliverance from Egypt. Even Exodus 3, 9, we can reflect upon that where they, uh, they begin to cry out to God. The people of Israel cry had come up to God and he had seen their oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Somebody must have had some type of faith that the cries of the people reached the ears of God. A call of faith. Now God has brought them near and he wants them to live faithfully in his presence. He wants them to hear his words spoken to their hearts day by day. And God wants for them to respond in obedience to his love and to know his glory as their Lord and God. How does God accomplish this? 
You know, the people there at the basin of Sinai were afraid, didn't want God to speak to them. But, but here God says, I, I will speak to you. How will he accomplish this? As we see from this text that God does this through providing priests to live holy unto God and to bring the people near God and to offer sacrifices to God for their sins and to pray to God on their behalf. Let's look at these four things here quickly. So these priests, the priests have been chosen to live holy unto God. Here is God establishing the priesthood under this Sinai covenant. We see here in verse 1, the Lord saying to Moses, bring near to you Aaron, your brother, and his sons with him from among the people of Israel to serve me as priests which is a constant refrain throughout these passages here, that they would serve God as, as priests. And Aaron particularly is going to be appointed as a high priest of God to serve the purposes of God among the people. Of course, there were other priests, as we see, you know, even coming out of Egypt, but these weren't priests of God. Perhaps they were priests of some other God. This is God putting a stake in the ground of those who would serve him, of those who would give their lives to him. And God establishes this as a statute forever under this covenant, this Sinai covenant, and also to Aaron's offspring. So the Levites were to be set apart, this particular tribe set apart, and they were to serve God in the priesthood. We also see here, as they've been chosen to live holy, that God consecrates them. God makes them holy. God sets them apart. He ordains them for this task. And did you notice, like, throughout this, this passage, God is making holy garments for them. God is beautifying them as he consecrates them. And it's a big deal. Because there, there are a lot of scripture devoted to this right now. It's a big deal that they have these holy garments. Even before the ordination service, God is dressing them to a T. And he tells Moses, and you shall make holy garments for airing your brother, for glory and for beauty. And also, these garments will be made for uh, Aaron's sons for glory and for beauty. God is making them like who he is, holy, because God cannot have any sin, sin in his presence. He's a holy God. He's set apart himself. He's above all. He's pure. He's good. And so to have someone tainted with sin in his presence or something tainted with sin in his presence, it will not last. And so God has to consecrate for himself, make holy these garments for Aaron. He, God has to give him the right uh, garments to, to wear and to, and to put on. But these are beautiful because they reflect the beauty of God. You know, the, the things that God has made for them. You know, we see reflected here in verse 4, a uh, uh, breast piece and an ephod a robe, a, a coat of checker work, a turban, and a sash to hold it all together. 
holy garments reflecting the same colors of the tabernacle, gold, blue, purple, scarlet yarns, and fine twisted linen. And then the skillful workers, they're, they're, they're back to task. God is filling them with a spirit of skill so they can make these garments according to God's heavenly pattern, God's heavenly divine de design. And it appears that God is quite the, the fashion guru, right? This is a beautiful piece. These pieces, the way they flow together and these colors and these laces, not one thing is forgotten. Not one detail is left out. God makes Aaron set apart and his sons and he makes them beautiful like he is in his presence. Not only that, the priests are chosen to live holy unto the Lord, God. Sometimes we walk around, you know, and we, uh, we go down to Old Navy or something, we try, or wherever you guys go to, and we, uh, <laughs> giving myself away. No. Uh, but you know, we go and, and we try to get our um, weekend outfits, or outfits for a party, and we do our best. And someone may compliment you, say, oh, I like that shirt, or I like that blouse, or it's something about being dressed up, right, that makes you stand out for the very thing that you've meant to stand out for. You know, uh, you don't go to a, a fine dining party, right, with maybe a hoodie and, and maybe some chucks. You don't do that. Maybe some people do. I don't know. <laughs> But you try to fit the occasion um, for which you're going for. And that's what's happening here. And the occasion is for, for Aaron and his sons to be holy unto the Lord. And the priests are chosen to bring the people near to God. They're representatives for the people before the Lord. And we see this because the priests are bearing the, the names of the children of Israel before the Lord on his two shoulders for remembrance. You know, these two onyx stones are on the part of the ephod and the names of the sons of Israel are, are deeply ingrained in them. And it's beautiful with this gold lacing that's in it, this filigree. And so this for him to bear the names of the people as a representative. It's to bear the names of the son of Israel, even on the breast piece next to his heart. So when he goes into the holy place, uh, it's a regular remembrance that Aaron is to have the people on his heart. Carrying them, as it were, like God did out of Egypt on eagle's wings, on his shoulders, having them on his heart like God does. And also, he's to bear any guilt from the holy things that the people of Israel consecrate as their holy gifts. And we see God gave him this plate of pure gold and engraved on it like the engraving of a signet, holy to the Lord, around his head. So it's clear that God is about setting apart, consecrating even the best gifts that his people bring to him for an offering. They have to be set apart or they will not be accepted. But the word of God 
is what sanctifies and sets it apart holy to the Lord. And Aaron bears this, bears this on his head. Jewelry that's fit for a king. The way it's laced and everything is flows together because God wants his people to be near to him. My friend John one day, you know, he's a, he's a guy who, he's in charge of thousands of people at his work. He's a very important man, not just because of what he knows, but because of how skillful he is at doing it. And he was tired one day after his managing. And he went home looking forward to having just a few hours to himself. No one near, just me in my room, quiet. And so he went through the door and no one was home. He knew that most of his family wasn't going to be there. But he was surprised to see his oldest daughter. She was about 14 years old then. And there he was in his room and he could see her out of the corner of his eye coming down the hall towards him. And he saw her countenance towards him and he knew instantly that she wanted to be near him. Having carried the challenges of his work and the, 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 his, his employees, now his daughter comes desiring to be near. He didn't know if he had, would have enough for her to be near him and for him to comfort her. But he allowed her to come. And he never regretted that. Friends, God wants us near to him. God has given these priests so that children of Israel are near to him. It may seem like a lot that they are going through, but things have to be made holy so that we can have the best of our Lord and our Savior. So that we can be near him and know his comfort and safety. So that we will be near him and know that he will never shoo us away. He will never close the door. God is not here. He's busy. He will never do that to us. It's an open invitation for the nearness of God. And of course, we know that priests oftentimes has been known as those who are chosen to sacrifice sins for God, for the people of God. We see this in uh, chapter 29, verse 38, where God says, now this is what you shall offer on the altar. Two lambs, a year old, day by day on a regular basis. Can you picture the priest every single day giving the offering for the sins of the people? Morning and twilight, morning and evening, morning and evening, evening, bringing a lamb and putting on the altar this lamb, putting on the altar this bread, if you will, this flour mixed with oil and putting on the altar this wine that is a fragrant aroma, aroma to God. Day by day, he's, he's doing this. It appears to be a lonely task that the priest has day in and day out, serving in the tabernacle, serving the people at the entrance of the tents. Day by day, he does this with his sons and those in attendance with him. But it's a high privilege that he has to offer these sacrifices for himself because he was sinful too and to offer the sacrifices for the people so that the people would know 
that their sins are covered, that God has made a way through the sacrificial lamb morning and evening, and that they are covered by God. And the priests are chosen to pray and to share the word of God right there at the entrance of the tent of meeting, to share with them what God has said, and for the people to praise God for him forgiving them and for God being near to them. And the thing that ties it all together, you know, being holy and being brought near to God and, and knowing that they're a chosen to praise and, and pray unto God, the things that bring us, brings it all together is the very presence of God. It's God's presence that, that makes things holy. It's God's word that he proclaimed that makes things holy. God says, there I will meet with them, the people of Israel, and it shall be sanctified by my glory. The very presence of God is making all these things happen in his way. And as the people carry out the words of God, they are exercising their faith to God. They're exercising their belief to him. I believe. I believe that you are taking away our sins. I believe you're forgiving us. I believe that you are doing what you say that you're doing. But oh, friends, it wasn't enough, was it? The ironic priesthood came to an end. It didn't last. It wasn't the covenant that God brings his everlasting priest through. It didn't last. As the writer of Hebrews says, now if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek rather than one named after the order of Aaron? Through the new covenant, we have a new priest whose name is Jesus. And Jesus is not of the tribe of Levi, but of the tribe of Judah. And God calls Jesus to be the high priest, not just of the tribe of Judah, but for the people of the world for all times. And God does this because Jesus, like Melchizedek, didn't have a beginning nor end. A mother or father wasn't named, but a priest, a peaceful priest, one who brings righteousness, a priest forever. And God said it on an oath from Psalm 110, for it is witness of Jesus, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The preacher of Hebrews, he sets us straight. He says, for every high priest is chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sin. Like Aaron, Aaron did this, he dealt gently with the ignorant and wavered, since he himself was beset with sins. He was obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sin. But for Jesus, Jesus offers himself as a perfect sacrifice for sins. It's impossible, as the writer of Hebrews says, it's impossible for bulls and goats to take away sins. When Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. 
and burnt offerings and sin offerings, you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of your book. Jesus is the sacrificial lamb forever and never. Jesus is the Holy One of God who was conceived of the Holy Spirit. Jesus was with God in the beginning. He was the Word of God. He is God. And Jesus says in his high priestly prayer, as he's praying about his disciples and about us as well, he says, Father, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. Sanctified by following the word of God. Being obedient, being empowered to obey by the power of the Spirit. And Jesus brings us near to God. For it says this in Hebrews, we are instructed. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession that we believe in him. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive the mercy of Jesus and find the help of our Lord in our time of need. Jesus is there to bring us near to God, always living to intercede for us because he's the one who prays continually for his people day in, day out. He knows their needs because he's one of us. Day in, day out. He knows our temptations. He's able to sympathize with our weaknesses. Day in, day out. Jesus makes intercession for us before the Father. Jesus not only does that, he stands with us as our advocate, pleading our case forever and ever by his blood before the Father. Louis Burkhoff, a systematic theologian, once stated, it is a consoling thought that Christ is praying for us, even when we are negligent in our own prayer life, that he is presenting to the Father those spiritual needs which we not present, which were not present in our minds and which we often neglect included in our prayers. And that he prays for our protection against the dangers of which we are not even conscious and against the enemies which threaten us though we do not notice it. He is praying that our faith may not cease and that we may come out victoriously in the end and we would do just that. Because Jesus is there at the right hand of the throne of God, and we are there with him. Do you believe it? Let's believe it by faith. Let's exercise this faith. Because this is what the Lord is calling us to do. Now that we have been blood-bought by Jesus, now that we have been sanctified by him, God says, be holy, for I am holy. We can live holy unto the Lord because now we are the chosen people by, of God, by his mercy. We are the royal priesthood, the holy nation. We are the one who belongs to God, who've been shown lavish mercy. We are made beautiful in his sight through Jesus. And the clothes we put on are his very righteousness. 
we can live holy unto the Lord. We can live in the presence of God, saints, and that which we do, live in the very presence of God because we have the spirit indwelt in us who God poured out in our hearts. So we don't have to go into the tent of meetings to offer sacrifices for sins. We've been brought near through Jesus. So we can live as if we are already there with him because we are. Christ has brought us near. He promises that when he returns, we will appear like him. Stunning, beautiful, more than we can ever imagine. We can live too as sacrifices unto God. What do we see this in scripture? Romans 12. Paul urging us in view of the mercy of God that we can offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is our spiritual act of worship. That what we have, we give to God. That what we do, we obey God. That we follow God when we have to clean up the kitchen once again. That we can do it. We can live as a sacrifice because we're doing it for another, even if we're doing it for ourselves. That we can follow God when it's time to yet again invite someone into your space. Making hospitality known. Bringing refreshment to the hearts of others. That's what we can live as living sacrifices. And in our employment, at our job, we can be as living sacrifices. Yes, we have to know our stuff. That's part of it. So that we may serve. We're not there as our own. We're there as ambassadors of Christ. So how we live matters. We're living as sacrifices unto God in view of his mercy. Praying that God would change the hearts of those around us through how we serve them and love them. And friend, lastly, we can live prayerfully before the Lord. I have so enjoyed my times of prayer in the life of our community. Thank God that he teaches us how to pray, how to talk to him. We don't always know how to do that. Right? Especially when we are young in our faith, like some of us are, we stumble and we afraid that we're going to embarrass somebody or be embarrassed ourselves. I'm so grateful that God brings us to his throne of mercy together on Sunday mornings. We pray together, saints. Not only that, but we pray together in our life groups, bearing one another upon your heart like Jesus does now. Bearing one, of, one another as holy unto the, the Lord. Prayerful for the needs of the saints around you. We pray together in our now morning devotions. Pastor Duke leads through the daily prayer project. A prayerful time and people have been encouraged and uplifted and given life through this time of prayer. And we pray in our homes secretly in our closets, bringing our hearts to God before his throne of grace, knowing that God wants to lavish upon us more and more of his grace. So friends, we have been made priests of the living God. We have been made to bring the sacrifices of God under the one chief sacrifice that washes our sins away, the sacrifice of Jesus, our Savior. Let's live for him. Jesus, thank you. We praise you. We love you, Lord. You have made us priests 
You have adorned us with beauty. It will never fade. Thank you, Lord, for the permanency of your presence in our lives. Amen.